0: Hey, what's up guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Hey, well, welcome. Welcome. Uh, if you are not a, a part of our church family, obviously I think one of the, the beautiful things about doing this like this on All on Sunday is we just get to create a space where uh, I wanna just lovingly invite you that you can belong. You can belong. Our our family is not capped. We're not like all the way full that we're not accepting anyone else, man. We, we feel a burden and a pressure to continue to reach out into our community, find people who are saying I'm lonely. Like last 18 months, a couple years has been a lonely time. It's been a time where it's maybe exposed some of our relationships for being a lot more frail than we thought they were. And so I just want to like, this is not a, this is not a perfect home. Amen. But it is a good home. It is a good home, one that you could jump in and be a part of, and we would love to have you just participate with us in whatever it is that God wants to do in us and amongst us. Amen? Amen. Amen. I also, on All on Sundays, just love acknowledging the kids. So if you're in elementary school, and if you can't really see me right now, would you just kind of stand up somewhere? Even if you need to get on a chair, that's cool for right now, if it's cool with your parents. So stand up. Can we just, aren't we glad to have our elementary schoolers with us this morning? Come on. Yes, yes, yes. Stay standing for just a second, because I want to look at some of you. Kids, kids in the room, kids in the room, I, I have to have you know this morning that there is no junior version of the Holy Spirit. There's not. There's not a junior version of the Holy Spirit. We believe that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit of God to do things that God is calling you to do, and that doesn't start once you're a grown-up. If anything, sometimes as grown-ups, I think we can get a little more lame, if I'm honest. But you guys have a zeal. You have an authenticity about you. You love Jesus in a way that's beautiful and that's awesome. And part of the reason why we bring you in here about every quarter, every few months is because we need to see your faith. I, like, listen, when the worship songs are going, I want to see you worshiping. I want to hear you singing this morning. I want to see you dialed in. And I listen, I, pr- I promise you, I'm only going to try and talk for like 25 minutes this morning, like one Paw Patrol episode, Okay. So if you can just do me a favor, you might have to ask your mom and dad a question and that's okay, right? Neighbors of parents, that's okay, right? If it's a little more wiggly in here this morning, that's a good thing. Dying churches don't have wiggling bottoms in seats. You know what I'm saying? And so we're thankful for some of the movement. uh, But parents, if you do want to keep your kids like from doing praise breaks all around the room, unless unless it is at the hands of a good point, if it's a good point and they just want to go for a minute, then, you know, we'll just let the Lord do what the Lord wants to do in that moment. Amen? But otherwise, kids, we love having you in here. We need you as part of our church, all right? All right. We are thankful for all of you. Um, this morning, we are going to be continuing in our Exodus series. And so if you haven't been here for a little while, if you're just jumping in, we have been going through the book of Exodus, which is the second book of your Bible. And the reason that we are uh, really just just drawn to this story, the reason why we want to press in and lean into this story is because sometimes I think we think the Old Testament is a bit crusty and irrelevant, And hard to understand. But what we see in the story of Exodus is this beautiful story, uh, an actual account of what happened to God's people in Egypt. But it's also something where as we get to know their story, we can better understand what God has done in us. And so what we've seen so far is that the people of God have been called to, there's this beautiful promise given to this guy, Abraham. Abraham, kids, have you learned about Father Abraham, who had many sons and many sons had, a father. I already did this several times, okay? But That's the song, right? And Abraham, if we go down the line, it doesn't happen right away. Sometimes God says things and they don't happen right away. And we have to be patient and we have to wait. And we want to have this obedience where we're listening to what God told us to do that's rooted in faith. And so we want to listen to and be be encouraged by the things that God has promised to happen while we continue to march forward doing the things that he's told us to do, even though we don't see the promises happening in our life yet. And as Abraham marches through this journey and as he has sons and those sons have sons, eventually we get all the way down to Egypt. We get down to Joseph coming into Egypt and there's all these people coming into Egypt, but they are under persecution and slavery. They, they end up being pushed to the side and oppressed by Pharaoh. Pharaoh's this guy who he doesn't have this relationship with the Lord. And and through that, he starts doing these really unspeakably bad things uh, to the babies and to the Hebrew people. And he starts really just imposing all this violence, all these really scary things, but God is still working his plan. Even when there are scary things happening in the world, he still is moving. He's still doing it out of that. He draws out this person, this man, a Hebrew boy named Moses. Moses gets this kind of complex as he's growing up in the Pharaoh's household and he starts to almost think that he is God. And he starts to kind of take matters into his own hands and he starts to get mad about the things that he's seeing happening in the world. And as Moses reacts, he actually kills somebody. He kills a man and he buries him in the sand and that just drives a wedge between even him and his own people. And so now he's, he can't go back to the Egyptian palace because he's, he's guilty of this crime. He can't belong with his own people because they think that he's trying to be the judge of the world. And so he flees. And sometimes when we encounter problems in our life, our temptation is to run and to try and hide from God. And Moses flees to this place called Midian, where, where God beautifully, even though he's run away, even though he's made mistakes, God still has this beautiful plan for his life and he begins to call him to himself. And last week we looked at this amazing story where Moses encounters the Lord in a burning bush that's burning and it's not being consumed. Like it's on fire and it isn't, and, and Moses is drawn in and we learned some amazing things about God. And we heard some incredible promises reiterated by God as he spoke to Moses from the burning bush. God said in, in chapter three, verse seven, that he heard their cry. He heard their cry. He also said that he has come to deliver. He has come to deliver. Imagine, kids, this is what this would feel like, okay? Uh, how many of y'all play, play sports at recess? Can I see some hands? Are we still playing sports at recess these days? Good Lord, I hope so. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> We're playing sports at recess. And imagine, imagine on your team one day, Tom Brady, as you're playing football, says, listen, I promise to help you overcome the fifth grade boys, even though they are torturing you on the football field every day. Man, can you tell me what that would feel like, right? If Tom Brady rolled up and he all of a sudden is like, I'm on your team, let's go. Man, you'd have this, like the wind would be behind your back. You'd like, I could do anything that God told me to do. I have like, listen, I have Tom Brady right here. Well, Okay, I know. Listen, we don't like Tom Brady that much, right? Okay. It's Colorado. So just insert your favorite athlete here. Insert your favorite athlete here. Um, but God... God promises, just like Katie talked about last week, the, the omniscient, omnipresent, transcendent, but imminent, so far above, yet so close. This God is speaking and he's saying, I have heard your cry. I've heard the cry of my people and I have come to deliver them. And then he makes the most glorious promise that we could ever hear and that he promises to be with them. It says, and I will be with you. Can I tell you today, God has promised to be with you that even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it says in Psalm 23, his rod and his staff will be comfort to you. And he promises to be with you. His presence is what we need above all other things going on in our life. More than than good grades at school, more than a, a job that gives us a good income, more than the relationship that we've just been so desiring to have. What we need above all else is him. We need him. We need God. And so then we get to Exodus chapter five, where God has, God has spoken to Moses and he's given, us, he's given Moses these incredible signs, right? He says, throw your staff on the ground. And Moses takes his wooden staff, he throws it on the ground, it turns into a snake. And as Moses grabs the end of the snake's tail, it turns back into a staff. And God says, take these signs to the people of Israel so that they will know that I am with you. And he gives these awesome signs of his power. He says, put your hand in your cloak and he brings his hand back out and it has leprosy on it. This contagious, terrible disease. That is, he then puts it back in, he brings it back out. God has healed him. And like Katie showed us last week, God is showing that he is God over all gods. He is God over all of your health and all of your vitality. And then he says, and if that doesn't work, then, then take some water out of the Nile, throw it on dry ground and it'll become blood. And so now we have these powerful signs that God is in fact God. And if he promises to be with us, that should bolster and strengthen our confidence, shouldn't it? And we read right leading into chapter five, that as the Hebrew nation, as the Israelites heard that God was with them, and as they saw these signs, what they, their response was worship. It's really the only right response that we can possibly have. That as we begin to get our mind around who this God is and his plan for our life, the only correct response that we have in return is worship. Lord, here I am, send me, right? Not Moses's response from last week. Uh, Here I am, Lord, please send somebody else. (laughs) but we say, no, here I am. Send me. It's this act of worship. Then we get into chapter five and here's what happens. Uh, It really feels like at this point in the story that God lets the whole nation of Israel down. Have you ever had one of those moments where it just felt like, if you could be really honest in church today, where it just felt like, God, you really let me down there. I was waiting for you to show up. I was begging for you to, to do something in this situation. Uh, where were you when my marriage was falling apart? Where were you uh, when that kid at school kept coming at me? Where were you, God, when whatever it was? And God didn't show up right away. See, because what happens in Exodus chapter five is, is Israel has all this momentum and they're all excited and they go, oh my gosh, this God is on our side. And they come and, and Moses goes to Pharaoh with Aaron and he says, man, okay, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna, God, we have met with God and God is gonna call us out to go worship him for a few days in the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, no. He says, in fact, Uh, you have time to worship? You have time that you you can just ask for some vacation time right now? You think you can just ask me for vacation time? Well, guess what? I'm gonna make life way harder. And what Israel was doing at that time, apparently, is they were making bricks. And one of the key ingredients to make these bricks was straw. And so Pharaoh goes, listen, I'm taking away all the straw. Get your own straw. Get your own straw figured out, but you still have to make the same number of bricks. So then their work becomes like increasingly hard. They're they're continually pushed and and beaten and tortured to do the same kind of production without the same kind of resources. Does anyone feel like that right now today at your work? Adults in the room? We're just like, uh, man, we're short staffed. We have half the people we used to have and I'm expected to do not just my job, but that guy's job that left six months ago. And what are we doing? And it's just these orders of do, do, produce, produce, go, go, go. And, And meanwhile, Israel is just being beaten on top of all this. They're being tortured. And it just has this huge letdown moment where it was like all this momentum and all this excitement to say, okay, here we go. God has heard us. God is going to deliver us and he is with us. And then he doesn't show up right away. And I think there's a lot of us in the room who have probably felt that way. I think when we come into All on in Sundays, I don't know a lot of the, we have a lot of guests that come with us and I don't know all of your guys' background, but even for some of us who, who are here week in and week out, we have moments in our faith where it feels like God failed us, don't we? And the reaction that we have, we get to see really the reaction that we have and the reaction that Israel has are really quite the same. The first thing that we do is we, we blame life. We blame life. When God lets us down, we start to blame life. Uh, let me put it a different way. We whine. We start to whine and we start to complain. Really, uh, kids in the room. Let me just ask you an honest question, KK. When we're in church, we want to be as honest as we can. Have your parents ever asked you to do something and you've whined about it? Just raise your hand if that's you. Just raise your hand. Now, hold on. Hold it up for a second because adults in the room. If you've ever been asked to do something and maybe you whined about it a little bit, would you just raise your hands too? Never. Okay. So now look, kids look around. There's two kinds of people. There's people with their hands up and then there's liars. Okay. <laughs> All of us at some points or another have complained. Gosh, and hasn't it been so easy to whine and to complain in the world we're living in right now. And in verse five, uh, in chapter five, 15, we read this that the foreman of the people of Israel. So the foreman who's kind of running these jobs of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? Why do you treat them like this? And they start complaining. They start making this big deal. And, and their response is in a lot of ways, it's our response where we, where we go and we go, okay, uh, if it just wasn't like, if I just didn't have to work so much, then, then this would be a little better. We, we blame the circumstances in our life, trying to grasp at something that we can actually control when that's really just this frivolous effort. Like you can't control what's happening. You can't, you can't control all the circumstances around you, but what you can control is your response to them. And so our tendency is to blame life, but what we have to do is we got to go, okay, what could I do instead? What could I do instead? I I can control how I react and how I respond. And when we start to feel ourselves blaming life or starting to feel ourselves complain and whine, that should cause us to go somewhere else in our mind. But the second thing that we do is we oftentimes will get to the spot where we start to blame others. Chapter five, verse 20 and 21. They met Moses and Aaron. This is the the people of God, the people of Israel. They met met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. So you got to kind of picture the scene here. Moses and Aaron went in to talk with Pharaoh they come out and all the people of God are just sitting there waiting to talk with them. How many of y'all know when when you get home at night and you're past your curfew and someone's waiting to talk to you, it isn't usually good news. You know? Okay. I see some honest high schoolers in the room nodding their heads sheepishly right now. That's good. That's good. Um, As they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you, Moses and Aaron. The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Isn't it interesting? Was it Moses's idea to do this? No, it was not. It was God's idea first. Then God showed up in power. And what started to happen was, um, it's okay. Listen, I see you all leaving. They're, They're just going to get ready for baptisms. Okay. I see like this look of grave concern. Like, why is everybody leaving right now? It's because we're, we're baptizing like eight or nine people today. Isn't that going to be awesome? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So um, I j- it's just so funny when like my perspective up here, nobody get, looks at me for a second, you know, and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, hello, my eyes are up here. You know what I mean? Um, so our response, a lot of times, even though even though in this moment, Moses and Aaron came back showed these mighty, powerful signs of God. And, and all, of, all of Israel's response was to worship God. So in a moment, they had all this faith where they were excited to see something happen. But when push came to shove, then all the complaining started to come back to Moses and Aaron. All of a sudden, it was their fault. You ever felt like this before? Or maybe you had, you had some people on your side, you had some people that were with you, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, we're gonna do this. And they're like, yeah, 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 we're with you. And then it gets hard and then they break. Then all of a sudden now they're saying, well, this was a stupid idea. It was your idea all along. It was, no, it was, it was everyone's idea. Everyone was behind this going for it. But once it got harmed, once it got hard, they started to blame their leaders for, for making it worse. And the last place that we have to go after we've, after we've tried our best to blame the circumstances around us for where we're at, once we've tried our best to kind of blame the other people or the people in charge for, for the, for the hardship that we're facing right now, the last place that you have to go is the place where Israel goes and they start to blame God to actually make accusations against God. This is what Moses does. Moses, in response to the people blaming him says, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? He was so impatient with the plan. I mean, we we saw last week, He's he's not really just eager to jump on board with the plan in the first place. And so it's almost like, it's almost as if Moses is looking for a quick out with the plan. Like he was looking for the off-ramp as quick as possible. And so the moment it got difficult, the moment something didn't happen when he thought it should, he starts to go, God, why'd you even send me? And all of a sudden, these insecurities and these doubts that crept into him when he was having the encounter with the Lord at the burning bush, they start to creep back in and he starts to actually make accusations against God. And don't we do the same? God, where were you? God, why didn't you? God, how come you didn't? God, what, me, not them? Not like we've ever made that accusation before. Really, God, you chose wrong. I'm the one going through this right now while this person, right? And so we we tend to, after we've blamed all of the things, we start to turn, we start to blame God himself but I wanna offer us a few alternatives that I think actually these things, they can function uh, as almost like like lights on your dash to start to indicate places that you can go when you start to feel these things come up. When you start to feel yourself blaming life, when you start to feel yourself blaming other people or accusing God, what are different places that you can turn that because God is never wasting your suffering. Uh, you have to hear this this morning. I know some of you came into this room today and life is heavy or you've been through a season recently, or you're just so young that it hasn't happened yet. And what you need to do is you need to tuck this message in your back pocket for a day when you really need it because it's coming. Nobody gets through life unscathed. unscathed. Nobody gets buried without scars. Everyone's been through it at some point or another. The question is, how are we going to respond to what's happening around us? And so the first thing that we need to do is when we start to blame life, when we start to whine, when we start to complain, when we start to feel this, like this level of disdain filling our mouth, we need to turn our hearts to worship instead. That's what we need to do. So, um, I, I don't know about you. I feel like I've just heard so much whining recently. Do you know? Like, Oh, the country, this and that, Oh, COVID this and that. And like, I'm not saying all of it's unwarranted, right there. I think there's some places that we should have some concern. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, uh, like I'm, I'm tired of all this whining without us actually doing. So, so I'm, I'm all good if you want to voice concern as long as you want to get involved, right? Which by the way, uh, Tuesday's a huge day. Tuesday, you need to turn in your ballot on Tuesday. If you have not voted yet, you need to put that on your to-do list right now. In church, you can pull out your phone, make yourself an appointment reminder. Like these elections matter. There are huge things at stake in our school board. There are huge things at stake in our community right now. And you need to vote. It is, it is something, it's a privilege that has been fought for, for you. So vote, so vote. Don't just complain, get involved. Don't just, don't just be, I, we've said this all the time. Don't just be pro-life in the way that you vote on, on Tuesday, but actually be pro-life in the way that you live before the single mom in your neighborhood show up and care about the, about the, about the dad who doesn't know how to care for his kids this week right? Be present, show up, be pro-life, do things. Don't just whine, get involved. And when you start to feel whining creeping into your heart, because we all get there at times, the response that we need to redirect our brain to is worship. Philippians 2, I'm sorry, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Paul is saying, not that I have already obtained this. What's this? Not that I've already obtained this thing. What he's talking about, I haven't already obtained this upward call in Christ. I haven't, I haven't received yet this resurrection, beautiful, immaculate body that God is calling me into. I'm not there yet, but while I'm waiting for it, he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, listen to this, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Do you know what lies ahead for you? 10,000 years will just be the beginning of worshiping and being with your creator in perfection without like there, there, again, I know there are people going through it right now, but please hear me when I say this, there is nothing that you're going through right now that you're going to remember 10,000 years from now. And that's the perspective that God offers us that we have this down line. No, God, God is, calling me somewhere. He's calling me to be with him. I have this, I have this huge perspective of where he's taking me. And so I'm not going to let my worry for today. I'm not going to let my complaints for today bog down my worship for where he's preparing a place for me. So we redirect it to worship. He says, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind. I think he could also, you could also insert there. This is me kind of standing off away from my Bible for a sec. Like uh, also neglecting the current situation of what I'm sitting in. So I'm not thinking about the past. I'm not getting stuck on my circumstances right now, but I'm straining forward. I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, let those of us who are mature, don't you want to be mature? Don't we want to be a mature church with our foot on solid ground? Let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. This is conviction. When we start to realize we're whining, starting to complain, not operating according to the identity that's been given to us, God says, hey, I've given you, I've given you eternity to continue aiming at. Keep your focus there. It says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. So how do we grow in this maturity? We hold on to that which we have already attained. We go, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. I trust you. I can't see what you're doing right now, but I believe in you. I'm clinging to you, Jesus. I, I don't know exactly how the situation is going to work out. But God, I know that you are working all things according to your good. You have plans for good for my life, you have plans for prosperity for my life. You're taking me somewhere. I'm not going to be stuck here. And I just continue to hold on to what I've already attained this upward call in Jesus. So the second thing that we have is we, we tend to blame others. We tend to blame shift. We tend to, tend to not want to own our mistakes or sit in our own mistakes. And we love to, love to, love to, even in the church, we love to go like, well, this is what I did, but this is why I did it. And we try and point that finger out as many different directions as we can. And we look at the suffering that we're experiencing or we look at the hard things that we're going through right now. And we want to, with everything in us, find something to blame. And listen, I can explain to you why the broken things in this world are broken. And it's just one word, it's sin. It's not necessarily because you sin, but it's just because sin has cracked and it's, it's broken the, the rotation or the axis that the creation and the created order was meant to operate in. And so there's hardship, there's tears, there's mourning, there's grief. All these things happen because sin's in our life. But, but if you just want to like continually put all your effort into trying to figure out why these bad things are going on, you're missing that God is actually trying to do something in your suffering. God is always doing something. He's always at work in your pain, not because he causes it, but because he's always trying to pull you through it. He's always trying to bring you out the other side. This is this is like what, um, is what we see in, in, well, really in John 13, 35, it says this, by, by this By this, the love for one another amongst the disciples, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our suffering, we're gonna show the world that we are disciples of Jesus Christ by the way that we love for and care for one another. It's not gonna be our political alignment. It's not gonna be our stance and our response to COVID. It's not gonna be the way that we feel about our kids and education that we're just gonna have this perfect unity on that. No, it's not gonna be this united front on all those issues. What it is gonna be that testifies to the world that we are following after Jesus Christ is our love and our care for one another. That even though we have disagreements and even though we have differences in the way that we think, we can still be aligned under the cross of Jesus Christ. That we can say, no, no, because of what he's done on the cross, I have far more in common with you than we could ever have different. And so this is like, through some of the harder times that Katie and I have walked through, and we've walked through some difficult stuff. I think one of the most beautiful things is watching our community, our church family, respond to some of those things. And like, listen, we, when we're in the middle of difficult things, when we've gone through different things in our life, the love of God that we've experienced has some, sometimes come through the people of God in our church family. And there's some of you like, you're missing that right now. You're not a part of any community. And what I want to call you to today is like, there is a love that you can experience and a love that you can encounter in the midst of your trial that, that is to be found in the church. And we've got people who show up for meals. We have elders who show up to our house to pray over our home, to pray over our kids. I mean, we, like, we want to be present and loving and caring for and, and, and really being present for one another. And that kind of love is going to not only just help us shoulder through the trials of life, but it's going to help us. It's going to help us actually reflect the glory of God to the world. The last place that we go, the last place that we go, and then we'll, uh, we'll shut this out the band. If you guys want to come back up, um, you can make your way back up. But the last thing that we tend to do is we tend to, um, we tend to blame God when things aren't going our way. So if you, if you could understand the anatomy of disappointment, it would just be when, when hurt or pain happens to you, when hurt or pain happens to someone you love or when there's just unmet expectations, you know, when you just like expect it, I I just really thought it was going to go this way and it just didn't. Right. And, and, and disappointment is a pain and you can't touch it. You can't feel it on your body, but it's a pain that you carry, isn't it? It's one that's on you. Katie, Katie, for the longest time, I'm not the, I'm not the quietest eater. If we've ever shared a meal together, you know, I apologize. I've, I'm learning, I'm growing, but, um, you know, one thing that she said, especially early on in our marriage was like, the way you're eating right now is causing physical pain in my body. (laughs) I'm just like, where? Like, like, I mean, that was a line. It was like physical pain. I'm like, where is that? Like, is it in your stomach? Is it in your head? Is it in between your ears? Like what? Like where? And what, that's not what she means that it's like actually literally hurting somewhere that she can touch or point to, but it's, it's a pain that's in her. Do you know what I'm saying? disappointment, unmet expectations. When you see loved ones going through hell, when you are going through hell, it's this pain that you can't necessarily say, well, my, it hurts right here-ish. No, it's a pain that's on you. You feel it. And our response all too often is to go, God, I'm putting you on trial. Why did you do this to me? And it's just the wrong response. Please hear me. Like if you have frustrations, if you have lament in your heart, if you, are, if you are mad at God about the way things are going in your life, you can take that to him. You can take that to him. You can lay it before his feet. And at the end of the day, he is still King of Kings and he is still Lord of Lords. And he still has a perspective of time and your life that you can't ever have. And yet we still have pain and we still have suffering. And the people of God, the people of Israel in this story They are are facing steep persecution. They are being beaten constantly. And some of you feel like that right now. You're going, God, where are you? And here's my couple encouragements for you. The first is that the presence of God is particularly near when you're in your moments of deepest pain. And I don't know, I don't know exactly if that's an encouragement to you, but I just know when Katie and I have walked through some of the stuff that we've walked through, whether it's people we love that were close to us or people, things that we just encountered together. There's almost this sense. And for some of you who have been through some tragedy in your life, you almost look back on that time and you miss it because you go, man, the presence of God was so real in that time. And the way that I experienced his voice, the way that I experienced his encouragement, the way that I just felt like I was just so locked in and dialed in on him. It was beautiful. And so listen to me, look up. If you're going through it right now, look up. He is with you. He promises to be near to those who are brokenhearted. He is available to those who are, who, are, who are meek and who are weak and who are tired and who are weary. He wants to lift up your weary face and call you into another day. Keep on going, keep on pressing on. The other thing that we have to acknowledge with our hurting and with our pain is that God is not wasting it. I said that earlier, James 1, uh, 2 through 4. You gotta love the way James just lays it on you thick. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Any of you just like rolling in that right now? Like you just experienced something hard at work and you're just like, yeah, booyah. You know what I mean? You're like, let's go, another hard day. (laughs) Yeah, somehow this is James' perspective. James is like, consider it pure joy when you encounter all sorts of different kinds of trials. Why? Because you have to have this perspective. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You want your faith. Listen, we're such a, we're such a country and a community here in Western evangelical world where we, where we want courage, but we never want to face fear. We want perseverance, but we don't ever want to be faced with situations where we have to be patient. We want resolve, but we don't want to be tested. I want a faith that's been refined by the fire that I know that when the trials come and when the winds may blow, even though things might shake and beat down on my house, I'm standing on solid rock. And this is the invitation of Jesus because every other person in this world is gonna encounter similar trials to you and me. I don't, I don't buy into this nonsense that just because we love Jesus, we're gonna have this faith that's pristine and perfect and clean and no, no bad things ever happen to me ever. Thank you very much. I have faith. No, I just have read too much of the New Testament to believe that that's true. There's so much trial. There's so much pain, but between you and me and the non-believer, the non-believer just has to deal with that pain one day at a time. But Jesus promises to redeem that pain, to give me a faith that's going to be steadfast, to write a testimony in me that he's going to then use to combat the the gates of hell. This is what God offers us. And so I just, I just want to invite you today. I just felt this impression all week that, um, there's some of you today that, man, you're going through it right now. And I want to take a moment. I want to pray that uh, you'd be ministered by the Lord, ministered to by the Lord right now, that God would just meet you in your pain right now. And that he would show you that he's not wasting it. He's doing something. He's refining you in some way. He's preparing you for another season of your life right now. And, and, and I just want to ask that some of you would maybe consider for the first time, if your faith is weak or fragile or non-existent, that I, like... God planned this message. I sat down and wrote out the outline for this series six weeks ago, and he brought you here today. He brought you here today. It wasn't by accident. God is trying to reach out to you and he's trying to make sure you know that he loves you and he sees you, that he has made some promises in your life. He promises to hear your cries, to deliver you and to be with you. And it might take a while for you to feel like all those things are true, but God wants to begin that journey with you right now. Right now. Thank you.